are going to jump right into week eight of our James series. We've been kind of going through, I can't believe we're already in week eight. The title of our message or the series is Learning and Living a Faith That Works. And uh, actually we're starting James chapter four this week. We're going to jump right into James chapter four. We're going to cover verses one through 12. But before we do, again, we want to just talk about the theme of our entire series, which is basically James uh, four, or excuse me, one four B, which is that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, as we get into this, I'm gonna kind of, and I usually say this at the beginning because this is kind of becoming a trend here in James. If you haven't quite noticed, James is not afraid to basically just lay it out on the line. James is not afraid to basically say, I, I love you enough, now follow me here, I love you enough to be able to take a two by four and hit you right across the face. Because James is sitting here, and remember, James is a pastor, okay? James has a pastor's heart. He is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So he's writing this to the church in Jerusalem, but also to the church that's been scattered out. We talked about that in the very, very first week. Scattered out throughout the area. And so he's got this pastor's heart. And the pastor's heart in him is, is it's a conflicted Thing, okay, and let me explain something to you um, from my heart, and because and, I think James and I had the same problem. We have this issue here. We are conflicted. We love you deeply, but we also want you to grow deeply. And sometimes that becomes hard because how do you kind of, it's kind of one of those things, it's difficult sometimes to know when to pat you on the back and when to kick you in the rear. Sometimes we actually do that together. James, in this portion of scripture, kind of does that together. He kind of is like, I love you, you are awesome, and I'm kicking you as best I can because I want you to grow. I want you to experience something that God has for you, and that's going to take something deeper. So here's what I want you to do. Not that I don't want this to happen every service, but especially in this one, because James, again, begins to kind of get into stuff that's, that's, that's kind of... Not rough, but basically things to look at. Listen, you've got to do something very important, okay? You have to realize a couple things. Number one, James is doing this because he loves us, okay? Now, I know probably James wasn't writing this going, you know, you know, in about 2,000, 3,000 years or so, there's going to be people in Broomfield that are going to be studying this, and I love them. No, he wasn't thinking that. He was thinking that to the people that was going to read this, which is us. So you got to understand, this comes from a place of love. But also, number two, you need to be open to the fact that you're not perfect. Now, we're all aware of that imperfection. But sometimes that imperfection, we don't allow that to let us live that way. And I'm not saying live that way is imperfect, but live in a way that realizes that. That we are going to mess up. That we are going to need to do a little bit better. So I want you to open your hearts. I don't want you to close down. I don't want you to be the guy or the girl that says, boy, I sure am glad this person's here to hear this today. What we need to do is be willing to look at our own lives and see some things. Because the title of the section that we're going to be looking at is Strife and Submission. Strife and Submission. And we're going to start in James 4. Looking at verse number one, and it is a large portion of scripture, so we're going to read this quickly together, and then we're going to knock it out and kind of take it piece by piece. So we're going to start here. What is causing the quarrels and fighting among you? 
Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and, and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what gives you pleasure. And then we continue on with verse number four. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Hmm. Okay. Happy, 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 happy. Yeah. Strife and submission. James is not pulling punches, but he's doing it because he loves us. He's doing it because he wants us to see a couple things. And we're going to look at those things this morning. The first thing we're going to look at is the reasons for strife in the Christian community. The reason for strife in the Christian community. Look at James 4, 1 through Three, it says this basically, what is causing the quarrels and fighting among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what other has, but you can't get it, so you fight and take it away. You wage war, you get what you don't, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it, which because blah, blah, blah. You don't get it because your motives are all wrong. I was trying to read too fast. You want only what gives you pleasure. You know what's interesting to me? Um, there's been a trend over the last probably maybe even 10, 15 years in the church, that we want to return back to the New Testament church. Okay? We want to, return. We want to be a New Testament church, and that's great, fine, and dandy. But what's interesting to me is, remember who James is writing to. James here is writing to the early church. And he is writing to them. Now, we have to understand something. As we're looking at this passage of Scripture... All of this, who it's written to. Remember, context, context, context. Who is he writing to? He's writing to Christians. Okay? So we have to understand that. A lot of times we'll read this stuff and we'll go, Oh, yeah, that's right, world. I can't believe you do that, world. I can't believe you'd be that way, world. No, 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 no. James here is writing to the church. He's writing to the church. He's saying, listen, why are there fights and quarrels among you? Why is this happening? But here's the funny thing. We could say that today. We could say that today. Why are there constantly... It's, it's like, it seems like over and over and over again, any place you look, you find quarrels and you find problems in the church. Now, we can 
look at this and actually deal with it and let God do something in us to make a difference in that area. Or we can dig our head in the sand and act like nothing's going on and everything's fine. If you know me at all, you're going to learn something. I am not a dig ahead and put it in the sand kind of guy. I am probably the guy that says, I want to talk about it now. There's an issue, there's a problem, I want to talk about it now. My problem sometimes is being willing to pull back a little bit and go, I need to wait until everybody's ready to talk about it. And so here James is basically saying, what is the problem? Look at all these issues. Look at all these things. Why are all these things happening? And so let's look at this. So because he answers his question, basically. What's causing all the strife? What's causing all these issues? And here's the funny thing. It's like... People will talk about the church and talk about, oh, the church this or the church that or the church is not good here or the church is not good here. Yeah, you're right. The church isn't always good at things. The church doesn't always do things right. Let me explain to you why that is in a very simple way. It's because people like us are in it. Okay? People like us are in the church. You see, here's how this works. When we accepted Jesus, and Jesus came and became the Lord and Master of our life, we began a process of transformation. We began a process of growth. We began a process of becoming more and more like Him. If you look at the understanding of disciple in the Scriptures, if you look at the understanding in the Jewish mindset, as a disciple, you didn't just become exactly like the rabbi overnight. It took years of training. It took years of following. And that's where we're at. As disciples of Jesus, we're learning to be like him. That means that sometimes we don't follow the teachings of our rabbi. That means that sometimes we don't do the things that Jesus would do. We come here to be here to grow in that and to learn in that. And quite honestly, the easy thing to understand is sometimes we just do some really, really dumb things. We say things that aren't right. We do things that aren't right. Listen, if you're looking for a church that's going to be perfect, I know this is crazy. I know you're going to have a hard time believing this. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing. Anywhere you go, you're going to find this stuff. So what's causing it? Because here's my thing. I'm a guy, I don't want to just look at the, I want to look at the symptoms and the disease. I want to look at it all. So what's causing the strife? First, James lets us kind of see it. First, evil desires from within me. Okay, now, evil desires that are within me. Now, I, want, I didn't underline this one because I wanted it to be there so you could see it really, really well. Okay, the very last word there. Okay, Easton is learning his sight words. Oh, that's fun. Get, get ready to read. Learn his sight words. And we haven't gotten to me yet, but we're going to. Me. Evil desires from within me. Remember we talked about this earlier, about having the ability to not sit there and go, boy, I sure am glad Sally is here because she really needs to hear this today. We start here. We start inside of us, okay? We start by looking in the mirror and saying, God, what are you going to do within me? The evil desires within me. Can I ask you a simple, easy, very difficult question? What evil desires are in you? Because look, I know it. it's real easy to find the evil desires in me. And it's real easy to find the evil desires in our spouse. And it's very easy to find the evil desires in our kids. But what are the evil desires in me? Because you realize that one of the reasons why there's strife and there's problems is because you have evil desires in you that you want. That have, listen, nothing to do with anybody but yourself.
What evil desires do you have? Now look, remember, remember, listen. This is not a hit upside the head. This is, this is God wanting to bring conviction in our lives, okay? Now let's understand this. We all understand really good moving forward. Conviction comes from God and draws us to God, okay? Conviction comes from God, draws us to God. The reason the Spirit brings it is so that we will come to God, get repentance for our sins, and that God can change us and make us more like Him. Shame comes from others or the enemy, and it drives us away from God. We are not about shame here. We don't do shame. I've had people come up to me, oh, I'm so sorry, I haven't been here the last couple weeks. Hey, look, we miss you and we love you, but we don't work in shame here. That's not what we do. That is not of God, and we don't do it. Okay? So how do you know if it's conviction or God? It's conviction when it comes from God, and he's drawing you to himself. Okay? He's wanting you to grow and learn. Okay? This is what this is this morning. It's God saying, listen, man, I love you, and I want you to grow here. I love you, and I want you to understand some things here. And it's what the Spirit does. It's one of the awesome ministries of the Spirit. So we have to be able to look at ourselves. And we have to understand that there are evil desires in us still. Now, maybe we've, we've knocked them down a great deal. Maybe we've pushed them back a great deal. But you know what? We still have those things that come up. We still speak those words of negativity. or We still speak those words of hurt or judgment. So it's all there. And it causes problems. Next. Next, not besides evil desires, but the next thing after evil desires is this, jealousy. Jealousy, covetedness. We want stuff. It's ours. It belongs to me. Let me show you how this works in the church. Are you ready? Ready? Visual illustration. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, this is even better. This is even better. Who can I pick on? I've already already gone here. Oh, Oh, this is perfect. Oh, this is so perfect. I'm not, I, I don't want you to embarrass him, but I'm going to. This is Eli. Eli just came. He, he was in Albuquerque for a long time because he's a horrible person. Um, no, he was staying there to, with fine arts, and he did a great job. We're proud of him. We're going to claim him already. Um, but he just came, and so we're excited to have him here. So, okay. so this, is, this is really like your first Sunday. Right? Yeah, kind of. Like, like living here. Okay, okay, that's great. We're so glad that you're here. Um, you're in my seat. No, no, I don't think you understand. That's my seat. I have sat in that seat every Sunday since 1904. That is my seat. I have given in the offering. I bought that seat. I know it doesn't have my name on it yet, but I have a permanent marker because I didn't know. I, can every... Can, can, you, can you people believe that this man sat in my seat? You know, Zach. You know. How dare him. Zach, why did you kick him out? That's my seat. I want that seat. It's my seat. And if you don't get up and give me my seat, oh, I'm going to go find the pastor. Mine. Mine. It belongs to me. And if you have what I have, you, if you have what I need, I'm going to take it from you. My, listen, James here is very interesting. Waging war. Do you understand the visual he is getting here? What do you do when you wage war? You kill people. Waging war here is not, let's play patty cake. 
Your jealousness and your, 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 um, when you covet, it is waging war against people. And the goal is to kill them. You murder. He uses that term. You murder. Now, we don't necessarily run out physically, but we sure do verbally. Jealousy, covetousness, this idea. Next, next, wrong motives. Wrong motives. Father, I know you want to give me all that I ask. So right now, I just pray in your name for a 5,000 square foot house. With a swimming pool, four-car garage, filled with every Italian sports car that I've ever wanted. Because I know you want to give me all that I ask and think. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. And we'll ask God for stuff, but our motives are wrong. Our motives are we want us to be praised. We want our stuff. We want our things. Listen, God always said, we talked about this before. God said, I will meet all of your needs, not all of your greeds. Okay? And so when we're praying for things, we need to understand that. Jesus prayed stuff all the time, but he did it in a way. Think about the garden. He's in the garden. He knows the pain and the, the, the cross is coming. And his prayer to God is not my will be done, but your will. He submits to the will of his father in that moment. And so God invites us to pray. God says, bring your needs to me. But our motives need to be right. And when our motives aren't right, things can really take place that aren't good. And finally, a desire for pleasure only. Look, you need to understand something. God is a good dad. And, and, and I would talk to our youth about this. This is always the way I would exp- express this to you. God desires you to have pleasure. God desires for you to have pleasure. You want proof? Every single one of you, unless there's something strange that I don't know about, has taste buds. You didn't have to have taste buds. You didn't need taste buds. You could have eaten without taste buds. And our Father, in His ultimate wisdom and understanding, said, I want you to eat stuff that tastes good. I want you to like sweet and salty. I want you to be able to take... I just got some peaches, and we cut up the peaches, and oh, they were so good. Listen, listen, pleasure here isn't the problem. It's when we go for pleasure only, that's the problem. When we don't think of others and we don't think of the big picture, that becomes the problem. When we look at ourselves and I want the the music to be this way, or I want the carpet to look like this, or I want pews, or I want chairs, or I want this, or I I want it to please me. That's what pleasure is. It's pleasing me, me, me. It's funny, when it comes to like conviction and stuff like that and stuff that God wants to do in us, that me word is like, oh, we always are real good at pointing that to everybody else. But when it comes to stuff that we want, all of a sudden me becomes a very popular word. And it becomes the issue and why we have these strife and these quarrels. So he goes from there and then he moves right into adulterous relationships. Look at James 4, 4 and 5. This is interesting because basically he's like, okay, here we go. Let's go. He calls you adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. Now remember, any time in Scripture where we see a situation where basically someone is saying it again, it's so that you realize it's important. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the Scriptures have no meaning? 
They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within you should be faithful to him. Now, you got to understand something. James understood this idea, and we see this all throughout Scripture. It's beautifully woven into the tapestry of Scripture, this idea of God and Jesus being the groom and us being the bridegroom, or the, the bride, excuse me. And seeing this beautiful picture, we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, because God knows that we're not always real smart, and so he wants to give us a picture that we all can understand, and that picture is the picture of marriage, that picture of faithfulness, that picture of, 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 of being together with that one person and loving them through thick and thin. I, I, one of my favorite things to do, honestly, is perform wedding ceremonies. That is so much fun. And you get up there and we, 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 we do vows and we exchange rings. And all of these things are symbols and words of, of faithfulness. Of basically saying, you and me, we are one. And it's beautiful. The problem is, spiritually speaking, we're adulterers. We kind of look over at the world and go, the world's pretty pretty. That world, oh, smells kind of nice. Now, I want you to think about something for a second. How do you think, let, let, let's say you, you, you let's say, let's, let, let, I won't pick on somebody in particular, but say one of the, our young men has met this girl, and boy, they think she's just, she's just the cat's meow, and she's just awesome, and she's just beautiful, and all these sort of things. And so he decides that he wants to ask her to marry him. And so he gets it all planned out, and everything's set, and flowers, and ring, and all that, and he gets down on one knee. And he says, sweetheart, I want you, will you marry me? And she goes, oh, yeah, I would love to do that. But, um, listen, I have these other guys that I'm really interested in, and they're just great. And, and so what I think we should do is we'll work out this deal. And for, listen, this is a great deal. You'll love the deal. The deal is for 11 months... I'm yours. 11 months, you and me, we live in marital bliss. But for one month, I can go date my other boyfriends. Now, I don't think that's going to work. And just in case you know, if they come to me for marital counseling, I will help them to know it will not work. But that's kind of what we do with God. We kind of say, God, you know, I really love you. Oh, you're awesome. Oh, you're so good. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And we're in love. But you know what? This area over here, this little boyfriend I have, this little area, you know, that's mine, God. And, and, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date it for a while. But I'll come back. I'll be faithful to you in these areas, but, but not in this area. And what James here is trying to just understand is that spiritual adultery. We have been... Betrothed, we have been, we, when we gave our lives to Jesus, basically what we said was, was I'm going to marry you. I will be faithful to you. You have given me everything and I will love you and be with you and, 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 and I will stay faithful to you. And here's the funny thing, you know, John had no idea what I was preaching on today. And what did he sing about all morning long? Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. God is so faithful. 
God is, we see this in the Old Testament with Israel, where they would, they would love God and they would be close to God and it would be a beautiful relationship and then they would begin to, to date other gods. They would begin to, to go off on their own thing and God was always faithful. Even, even when he brought punishment, even when he brought discipline to them, which they needed, by the way, even in that moment... Read some of Jeremiah, read some of Daniel, read some of Ezekiel. It's beautiful because God is sitting there going, listen, even though this is happening, I will still bring you back to myself. I will still love you. I still have a plan for you. God is faithful when we're not. But quite honestly, if we're playing this game, we're trying to see how much of the world we can get and how much of the God we can get, that doesn't work. That basically is not a good situation. In Matthew, we see this. Now, I understand here that Jesus is talking about money, but it fits also in this context as well. And Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. The word I want you to check out there is the word devoted. You cannot be devoted to God and devoted to the world. It doesn't work. Devotion is a singular thing. I am devoted to my wife, not to anyone else. Does that make sense? And so we have to understand here that there are times when every single one of us will kind of go off for a fling with the world. But we can't have it both ways. God desires. God is a jealous God. And desires for all of us. He wants us and desires us so much that he says, no, listen, I'm not, I, don't want a, I don't want a marriage where you run off for a month. I don't want a marriage where you run off for a week. I don't want a marriage where you run off for 20 minutes. I want a marriage with you that is faithful and true. And that is beautiful. And that is special. And that's amazing. So basically here in this first part, of James 4. James has given us some problems. Now, what I love about this portion of scripture is after all this, after James is basically saying, hey, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get it all together? It calls us adulterers. Now he gives us some, so, excuse me, some solutions. I like solutions. I don't like, you know, it's like, I, I don't, it doesn't help me when people say, hey, you know, you're, you're sitting on the side of the road. Your car is broken down. You don't know, steam is coming out of the engine, you know, the tires are blown up. I mean, all that sort of stuff. And you got the guy that comes up and goes, have an engine trouble? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, your engine's not working. Thanks. Awesome. And then he stares at you. James here doesn't just say your engine's blown. James says, hey, here's the issues, now let's fix it. And that's important that we look at it. So let's look at the solutions for strife. The solutions for strife. The first one is get right with God. Get right with God. Look at this here, starting in James 4, 6 through 10. It says this, it says, And he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. So again, let's look at these things real close. Let's look at these things that he lists. First, first thing, how do we get right with God? First thing that he lists, submit yourself before God. Now, submission is a, is a terrible, dirty word in our world, it seems like. Submission is basically the understanding of taking our will and putting it aside and desiring God's will. That's submitting. It's understanding that, God, you know more than I do, and I'm going to trust your plan and your desire for me. Because your plan is better than what I could dream up. So we submit. We, don't, we, we do what Jesus did again in the garden. We submit to that. We have to understand that the next one, after we submit, and again, we're just going straight through the order here that James has laid out for us. Next, we resist the devil. We resist the devil. Okay? Now, resisting is, is, a, is a verb to me, at least, that, that indicates some struggle. It indicates some fight. It indicates some of those things, you know? And I don't know if about you, but I've met people that, man, it's like all they talk about is the devil. You met those people? It's like all they talk, oh, the devil's riding me hard. Oh, the devil's this. Oh, the devil's that. Oh, the devil's getting me. Oh, the devil's, oh, I mean, and I'm like, you, you realize that scripture has spelled this out for us pretty clearly. You resist, the, okay, I'll sit down so we all cannot flip out because this is so deep. Resist the devil and he will flee. Everybody Okay. Oh, I gotta, I gotta pray the fire down, and I gotta do. No, you resist the devil, and he flees. Not resist the devil, and every other time he'll flee. Not resist the devil in these areas, and not in these, and he will flee. You resist the enemy, and he goes. The problem is, is we're not real good resistors. Remember, we're adulterers. We like kind of the stuff that the enemy's selling. We like kind of the stuff that he's given us. And so we're not so good in resisting. We're kind of like this. This is our resisting kind of with the enemy. Oh, stop. Oh, stop, enemy. Stop. 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 Stop, stop enemy. Come on, enemy. Come on. Stop. That's not resisting. Resisting is saying, no. And I'm going to push you back. And I'm not going to let you have this foothold in my life. But when we resist, he flees. When he resists, he flees. Next, after that one, basically we have drawn near to God. When I was a kid, we had banners in our church. Remember those? The big, knit, shiny banners. And I always remember that there was one in my church growing up that said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful promise? That when we draw to God, draw God comes to us. So we have to do that. We have to take that action of drawing close to God. Next, wash your hands. Now, what does this mean? What, wash your hands. Now, as I was looking at this this week, basically what I found was, was a lot of theologians believe this is, this is a reference back to um, Exodus. And I think of the 30th, I think I wrote it down here. Exodus 30. Yeah, 30, 17, and 21, before Aaron and the Levites would go into the Holy of Holies in that area and, and areas of the, the temple, they had wash basins. And they would have to go and they would have to wash their hands and wash their feet. If they didn't do, and it says this in, in uh, Exodus, if they didn't wash, God would kill them. This was important. And I remember thinking about, God, what does this mean? What are you asking us to do? 
As we draw near to you. And I feel like God was basically saying, listen, a lot of us want to be used in the work of God. A lot of us want to be instrumental in what God is doing and want to do. But we got dirty hands and we got dirty feet. Now remember, God doesn't ask us for perfection. But God does ask us to go to him for forgiveness. And in some ways, what that symbolized is they washed their hands and washed their feet was clean. Where they were now clean. Now, were they clean spiritually? No. But physically, they were clean. We, because of Jesus, have that opportunity where we want to be used by God in God's presence and make a difference from him. But sometimes we got to sometimes go to Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus? I need to get clean again. Sometimes I wonder if the reason why what we do and how we're doing it isn't as effective as we wish it was. It could be because our hands and our feet are dirty. And we need to go to the Father at the beginning and say, listen, before I go, do anything for you. Now listen, you got to understand something. Every time we get together and have a service, I pull the worship team, we're back in my office and we're praying. Why? I want to make sure my hands and my feet are clean. You get what I'm saying? Let's get our hands and our feet clean. The next thing we see is this understanding of purifying our hearts. Purifying your hearts. And of course, this comes from Psalms 51. Look at that beautiful scripture. But purifying our hearts. So in, in the idea of washing our hands, we see kind of that physical act and something outside that we're doing. And inside that purifying our hearts is allowing God to come in and remove any unclean thing that is there. And the final thing, of course, is humbling yourself before God. Humbling yourself. Understanding who he is, who we are, and what God wants to do in us. Knowing that we can't do it without God's help. And that is a beautiful place to be. That is an amazing place to be. But to humble ourselves to him. To go to him and say, God, I need you. God, I can't do this. God, you are great and I am not. And yet you love me anyway. And I humble myself before you. And then the final thing as we get ready to close is John and the worship team want to come back up. Number four, the solutions for strife. Get right with people. Get right with people. Okay? Look here at the end here as we close this section out. In John, James 4, 11 and 12, it says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. I, I, I looked this up because I was kind of curious and, and as I was studying. This idea of speaking evil actually comes from a Greek word. And I'm not even going to try. I got it written down here. Because um, I actually, you know, it's funny. I went on, online to get the pronunciation of the word. And I went to two different websites and both gave me a different pronunciation. So I'm not even going to try. But just trust me on this one. The, the word here, I wrote it down so I could get it. It means people that meet in corners, gather in small groups, and talk about people which destroy their good name, and those people aren't there to defend themselves. Boy, that doesn't sound like the church at all, does it? That's really where we get the word slander. If you look in, like the NIV, it doesn't say evil, speak, speak evil, it says slander. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the idea of the tongue. But words mean stuff. They can, they can bring life or they can bring death. And so it says here, don't, don't do that. Don't gossip. Don't talk about people behind their backs. Is that hard? You better believe it's hard. Is that something we all struggle with, if we're honest? Yep, probably all of us do. But it's one of those things that we go to the Father and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. That's that humbleness that we see. So don't, 
do that. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? It's very interesting here because, again, we see this this kind of going back. James continues to bring us back to this concept that our actions mean something. You see, we're all in this situation where there's strife and there's quarrels. And it doesn't matter. It can be in the church. It can be in your home. It can be in your job. It can be in your family. It can be in your marriage. It can be in your finances. Whatever it is, there's this stuff there that causes issues. And look, we, we already dealt with what can bring those things about. They're there in your notes. You can look at them. I want to talk about what, what solves it. Because a lot of times in the church or in, in situations, again, we say the car is broken, but we don't know how to fix it. And thankfully, God knew that we needed simplicity. And sometimes simplicity is beautiful. And how do we fix it? How do we fix those areas? We get right with God and we get right with people. We submit ourselves to God's will and his plan. We don't say the things. I want you to think about something. Can you imagine how different our relationships would be with everyone we come in contact if we didn't slander? Because I don't know if you're like me, but I'll say something about somebody. I'll, 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 I'll talk to my wife and I'll say, can you believe this person did that? Can you believe this person would be so immature? Can you believe this or that? And, and then what's interesting is then I'll see him on Sunday or I'll see him on Wednesday or I'll see him whenever. And I know what I've said. And they don't have a clue. I mean, they, you know, they don't know what I've said. And my relationship with them is hindered and hurt because I know what I said. Now, maybe you you can be fake and phony, but just so you know, fake and phony is not one of the, is not listed as one of the fruit of the spirit. Okay. Got it. But I'll go, and and in the back of my mind, I'll go, I can't believe I said that. And I'll be almost like afraid. Like, like what if they know I said that about them? And it hinders. Why? Words are powerful. There's a reason why during the worship service, I didn't mean, please understand, I didn't mean to get on to you. But but I want you to use, listen, listen, we, let's just be honest, please, Okay. We use this for so much cursing. Maybe we should try to use it for blessing each other and our Father. Oh, I can do that internally. Yes, you can. And yet God also says do it verbally. Use the words of your mouth. Oh, that's just not my personality. Well, that's funny because God's saying to do it, so you probably ought to get with the program. believe he asked us to do that. That was so embarrassing. Listen, I'm just, this is what scripture says. God understands what those words mean. And when we speak them out, what that does. Think about it. Your kid has a bad day at school. Things aren't going well. You don't go up to him and go, I'm now going to think in my mind how proud I am of them that they handled that situation correctly. I'm going to think in my mind how proud and how much I love them. That's going to do awesome for them, won't it? No, you go to them and you say, son, 
My daughter, I'm proud of you. I know that was a hard situation. I know that was a hard test. And you worked hard. And you did it. And I'm proud of you. And I love you. And you watched that kid. You go, well, God doesn't need that. God doesn't need to be puffed up. No, I understand that. You do it because you need to hear yourself do it so that you know what you're saying and you know what you're believing. So we got to get right with God. And then we got to get right with each other. Listen, I'm going to ask you to do something that's so hard that I'm just going to tell you right now, there is no way you're going to do this without God's help. Okay? So don't come and say, I can't do it. I get it. I know. You're exactly right. You can't do it. You got to have God's help. But I believe very strongly that in this place, amongst relationships that are here and relationships that are not here, that are outside of here, but you are here, you need to get some things right with some people. You need to, as Jesus said, leave your gift at the altar and go make things right. Listen, it's quite, you want strife and you want quarrels to end, you got to make it right. You got to go to them. Well, you know, but they did this and they did that. I get it. I get it. I get it. And this is also what Jesus says. Go to them. Make it right. Well, they won't accept my this and they won't. God didn't say they had to accept it. God said for you to go and make it right. Make it right. And then, listen, when when that that desire to speak evil starts to come because it will. And just so you know, just I'm just preparing you now. It's probably because we're talking about this and the enemy's going to like double the efforts. And so you're going to leave this place and it's going to be like, you're really going to struggle with this probably over this next week. You're going to fight it. You're going to have to resist that urge. Resist the enemy and he'll flee. You go, you know Aaron, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of ready for James to be over. <laughs> and, and you know what? Because I look at this stuff and I look at my life, I'm right there with you. I'm kind of like, you know what? Uh, James, I'm tired of you beating me up, man. I'm tired of you beating me up. And in that moment, I have to remember, my God loves me. And he disciplines those he loves. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray real quick, and then we're going to come, and John's going to lead us in a worship song. But would you, just, just for the sake of, of intimacy between you and the Father, and so no one's looking around, can you just close your eyes? Nothing spooky, nothing super spiritual, just so we can focus. And I want us to stop. And I want, I want the Spirit to literally turn on a, a searchlight in our hearts. Okay? Remember, this isn't because God's mad at you or he's frustrated with you. He loves you. Do you really understand how much he loves you? And he wants to point out some things. He wants to look at some areas and say, you know, those words you've been saying about that person is wrong. And that's not of me. And I want you to stop because you're bringing division and you're bringing destruction to a beautiful relationship that I want you to have. Maybe he's going to look and say, you know what? You've been kind of holding hands with the world. You've been holding, trying to hold my hand and hold the hands of the world. And the problem is, is we're diametrically opposed. And, and eventually you're going to have to let go of one or the other. And God wants to reveal that to you. Because he loves you. Because he desires so much more than you could ever dream or hope or imagine. But you've got to let go of it. 
to embrace him. You know what I've learned in life? You can't hug somebody very well holding two people's hands. To embrace something, you got to let go of one so you can embrace the other. Let go of the world and embrace God. He's got you. It won't always be easy. It won't be perfect, but he's got you. So I'm going to be quiet for just a few seconds, and I'm going to pray over you. And as that happens, I want you just to begin to let the Spirit begin to turn on that searchlight in you. Don't be thinking about other people, just you. Father, right now we come to you. And God, one of the beautiful things that you do is you discipline those you love. And that's not always fun. It's not always easy. I'll be honest, I'm kind of at the same place. I'm tired of James kind of kind of taking shots at me. But I also know that he comes from a place of love. He comes from a place that he wants me to grow and mature and become more like you. And so even though it's not fun, even though this is not a good thing as far as what I feel in this moment, I know that it's good for me. I know that sometimes I don't like my broccoli, but my broccoli's good for me. And so God, right now through your spirit, will you please just bring conviction in our hearts where it needs to be? Will you please do that? We are inviting you to do that because we know you love us and we desire to be closer to you and know you more intimately. So God, right now, in areas that we need to get right with you, that you would illuminate those things. In those areas that we need to get right with other people, that you would illuminate those things. And that, Father, that you would help us to know what to do to make those things right. If we need to go to you and, and, and spend more time with you in prayer or study, that we do that. If we need to go to people and apologize and ask for forgiveness for things that we've done or said, God, whatever it is, because there's tons of stuff and you're a personal God and you love to speak to us individually. Father, I pray that you would help us as individuals to hear your call and to obey what you've said so that you can change us and make us more like you. That's what we need, that's what we desire and that's what you want to do inside of us. But God, all of it is bathed in your love. It is the ocean of your love. It is the kindness that draws us to repentance, not shame, not guilt. You are drawing us home. And so, Father, right now, as we look at ourselves, Father, we commit as individuals and as a congregation to do what we need to do to come home. And, Father, we know can't do it without you. We don't want to. And we know you'll help us. We love you. We thank you.